Forge family. Uh, we were about to enter the Advent season right there after Thanksgiving, and, and uh, that shifted us into smaller groups for discussion about the Incarnation. And we ended our time in Ephesians with Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24. So here's, here's a real brief catch-up for us. In that passage, Paul was finishing up his strong exhortations to the Gentiles who had come to Christ, but were having difficulty not continuing to live out in their old ways. He pointed out that the Gentile culture set the scenario where uh, they walked in emptiness of their minds due to embracing an endarkened understanding. And that endarkened understanding uh, came from hard hearts, even, even uh, hearts harder than stone. And as it, that persisted, um, they, they began to uh, uh, move toward um, all forms of impurity with a rapacious appetite. That, and that obviously left them dead in their trespasses before God. So Paul calls the new believers to stop, to turn, to leave behind the old ways of their lives that they grew up with as pagans, and to take off those old, filthy, if you will, garments, the, the lifestyle that they had, and put on the life of Christ. Now, we included um, some of the examples of deadness in, in that presentation of the ISIS caliphate with their um, savagery, uh, with their deviance, and also that of John Gacy, Ted Bundy, and, and Jeffrey Epstein. Um, I would also include um, the rioters in the streets of America uh, who, who burn, kill, rape, and hold hostage. They have, their, they have hearts that are dead towards God. Then Paul turned to encourage the new converts to put on the ways of Christ that they had already learned from him because he was present to them in their meetings. He continued to say that the taking off of the old and putting on the new in Christ was not a one-time thing. It was a daily thing. The, 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 the putting off and the taking, taking up and putting on. And uh, that they were being renewed in their minds daily by Holy Spirit. Continually. And thirdly, Paul urges them to put on the new man, the new woman, the, the new person um, that was made in the likeness of God himself in righteousness and holiness of truth. All right, let's pray. Present living Lord, we would be a gathering of believers that diligently put off the old and put on the new of you, Holy Spirit. Dress us up in righteousness, peace, and joy as we press in to obey, we would leap forward, Lord, in kingdom ways, bringing family and new converts along with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today, Forge family, we're again at the end of, of chapter 4 of Ephesians, beginning in verse 25. Paul turns from the, the needs of the new Gentile believers, and he begins to go for a more general, universal 
set of needs that were readily apparent in the churches all over Asia Minor. Because this Ephesians was a, a circular letter. And it was going to be passed from church to church and town to town, village to village, all around Asia Minor. And he knew that some other issues had to be addressed. So he begins, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, Paul did not put the specific, uh, you know, the lie sort of thing. It was it was a it was a general a, 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 a generic falsehood that he was talking about, a, a way of just saying this is something that is it surrounds churches. There's a miasma of untruth around the churches, and in the culture. And he, he makes sure that uh, those who hear this exhortation strip off any falsehood, okay, and the putting off of the old ways. The living of truth and the speaking of truth demand concentration, demand discipline. It's a deliberate effort to speak and live truth. And Paul quotes directly from the words of Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Now, a year, about a year and a half ago, we studied the, the prophet Zechariah. And in chapter 8 of Zechariah, the Lord of hosts is saying that he was determined to really punish Judah. But now that season has shifted, and now he is determined to do good to Jerusalem and to Judah. And the Lord says he commands them not to fear, but to each man to speak the truth to his neighbor. That speaking truth leads to judgment in the city gates of truth, justice, and peace. Likewise, Paul says, speak truth. For we are all members of one another, all of us, part of the one body of Christ, the ecclesia. So, family, the, the current administration in, in Washington, D.C., uh, from the top down, shows really no honor for truth. But rather, it spins statements, events, and policies so that our nation is less and less made up of members of one another. And less and less are we united there are significant divisions. Kent Hughes says, disregard for truth and a disposition for lying are everywhere, and the church is no exception. Unquote. The use of non-truths is plainly seen. How very like the Gentile culture America has become. So next, Paul puts forward a teaching that has often been twisted and misused. He says, quote, Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. So in the Greek, in the Greek language, Greek New Testament, there are three different words that are used for anger and wrath. Thumos is descriptive of a boiling agitation of emotion, explosive passion, anger, it boils up and then quickly subsides. This may be displayed by word or deed, sometimes by thoughts. And I have a particular vulnerability to thumos. I'm, I'm the one in the household that blows up, okay, and, and um, it feels very empowering. 
and it fades quickly, and it leaves me with the sense of, well, that's all settled. Not so. Not so. Because it leaves my family too often hurt and shaken, and that doesn't go away in a hurry. So this is unacceptable in the presence of God. It is sin that I struggle with. And, and anybody who struggles with that sort of explosive, and then they get over it quick, that's called thumos, and they struggle with that sin as well. The second word is paraorgismos. It's translated as wrath. And it's also forbidden as it refers to wrath, irritation, exasperation, and embitterment. My ancestors were driven out of France and Scotland, and uh, that was because they followed Jesus, and the ones who were hounding them and literally killing some of them you know, were those who had a different view of Christianity, um, that um, uh, the, king, the king was, was Christ on earth, etc. Um, and that, that left a, uh, a bitter, wrathful irritation uh, behind, and um, my ancestors really, really struggled with that. Uh, that also is unacceptable in the presence of God. It's sin. And then thirdly, the word orge is translated anger, and it's a position of the mind and the heart that remains set. It is this word that Paul chose when he said, um, be angry, but don't sin. Okay? Um, and it's, uh, it's, it appears in a situation where there are conditions or exposures of unright to unrighteousness. <clears throat> it is godly for the rise of orge, meaning righteous anger, within you. When guided by Scripture and Holy Spirit, anger is allowed and even demanded. Jesus was orge, uh, directed at the... The Pharisees, because they, there was no mercy for a crippled man. And he was the one who uh, took a whip and drove out the money changers out of the temple, overturned the tables, and, and said, my father's house is a house of prayer. That was a, a, a demonstration of orge, of righteous indignation and anger. <clears throat> for example, you could have... Uh, you could have human trafficking and sexual slavery, and, or you could have someone with a really filthy mind that's just filled with all kinds of immoral positions. And in either case, righteous anger is to rise and stand against that um, with Holy Spirit. Um, it, it is uh, something that is built into us, and to not be able to express holy anger at the appropriate cause or need or time indicates a spiritual lack, perhaps a hole in, in the inner man or the inner woman in Christ. Now, some have taught that this righteous anger is still sin, but is not imputed because uh, it's not charged against us as long as we get rid of it and, and, and confess it before the sun goes down. That's not what Paul was teaching, okay? Because the word's different. That statement where it says, you know, uh, put off that wrath before the sun goes down is paraorgismos, okay? Not orge. And in, in the, that leaves you carrying around irritation, bitter feelings, exasperation, and, uh, and you bring that up 
to the end of the day and dump it on your spouse or your roommates or, you know, kind of, etc. Okay? So the word from Paul is you end that. You bring that pile to the feet of Jesus and drop it while the sun is still shining. Now, this command is to be angry. It's a present imperative. So it's something that is to be continuous. It's not just for a season and then... Eh. But because we're, we're surrounded by situations that are really unrighteous, and it's the right thing to rise, so for that to rise up inside of you, and you go, nope, not buying that. Not participating. Not going to approve of that. Okay? <clears throat> In contrast to Paul's command um, to stop sinning, you know, um, that, that's, that's different, a different thing. So there's two things that before us. There's, there's perorgismos and there's uh, thumos, the explosive stuff and the stuff that hides deep and growls. Okay? That's to be left at the feet of Jesus. So Paul fairly shouts at us in verse 27, and he says, Do not give the devil an opportunity. Literally, he said, Stop giving place. So place in Greek is tapos, and it's any space marked out from the surrounding territory. Now here it might be a place in the heart. It could be a place in the head or in the memory, okay, that's held secret, held private. It's invisible to other members of the, of the family, of the church, of the workforce that you're with, uh, co-workers. But that gives the deceiver, the father of lies, the opportunity, the power, or the occasion for advancing into other areas in your life, if you're going to hang on to that. <clears throat> so, Forge family, stop. That's, that's, the, that's the force of this passage. You, you stop. Now, does that touch any part of you? Are you suddenly reminded of a hurt, an abuse, a rejection that generated irritation, bitter feelings, exasperation, it's still inside of you? Is it still resonant? To hang on to that gives the deceiver a place in your life. So you stop it, you drop it, you repent, you leave that pile with Jesus, be washed clean, for, forgive the one who hurt you, and start into newness of life in Christ in that patch, if you will, within you. Fill, you fill up that space with worship, with joy and with thanksgiving. And you smile back at the Father. Verse 28 opens the door to a common lifestyle that was brought into the churches by new converts all over Asia Minor. Quote, And let him who steals, steal no longer. For rather let him labor, performing with his hands what is good, in order that he might have something to share with him who has need. Now, Expositor's Commentary says, Stealing was not wholly condemned by ancient heathen opinion or culture. It was sort of, well, how about that? Okay? It was even allowed by the Lacedaemonians. Okay, those were the Spartans. Now, we know from movies, probably a little bit of history that we study, the Spartans were tough guys, okay? But thievery was a big deal for them, Okay? It was a vice into which the recently converted, living in the old pagan surroundings, especially when they were 
underemployed or unemployed, it was all too easy to slide back into thievery. Okay? All over the ancient world, thievery was present and often not condemned. It was just a fact of life. Paul comes right to the point. If you are a thief, you stop. Okay? And you, you stop in Jesus' name. Get yourself employed with your hands so that you can make an honest living and have enough. But the sense of the text here is not enough for you. The sense of the text is you have enough so that you can be generous to someone who has needs in the body of Christ or in the marketplace. And um, sensory, since thievery was really rife in almost all communities, it was just there. Okay? If this is reversed, uh, there's a potential here over time for whole cities to move toward righteous living and generous giving. Also clean house in the churches. So Forge family, you, let's stop again. That's the force of the text here. You stop. Have you been reminded of anything that needs to be returned? That requires asking forgiveness and even perhaps restitution. That is the force of Paul's words to the churches and to us. If so, set your heart in a place to ask for forgiveness. And move intentionally to repair any breach, any theft in Jesus' name. Ask, and ask that person for forgiveness. When you do that, you receive the smile of the Father. Verse 29 is a reminder of the teaching of Jesus. When he said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of him. So, quote, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. The Greek text here says literally, Every word that is corrupt, out of your mouth let it not proceed. It reverses the, what we have in the English translation, okay? Paul chooses the word sapros, which is descriptive of corruption, of rottenness, of stuff that's worn out, unfit for use. The presence of Holy Spirit is often accompanied by a sweet fragrance. And corrupt words, Paul says, are often accompanied with that scent of death and rot. Then Paul set the contrast that is to proceed from our mouth. Okay? It must be a word that is good so that it imparts grace into the situation, the conversation, the relationship, etc. So as to lift up and edify, lift up and, 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 and come under someone and encourage them. Verse 30 is a bit of a summary of the verses 25 to 29 in Paul's teaching, stating, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the preceding verses avalanche the do-nots and the do's, with the, the point being, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Lying and falsehood in word and behavior. Anger and wrath poured out explosively or held privately, giving the deceiver a place to settle in 
helping yourself to that which is not yours to touch, to take, or to own, to think or blurt out corrupt thoughts, words, or gutter epithet. All the above compile to grieving the Holy Spirit with practice, when, when it's practiced and protected. Paul literally said, stop grieving Holy Spirit in any of these ways. It is Holy Spirit that has already sealed you up to salvation in Christ against the day of the return of Christ for his bride, the day of the rapture, the, you know, the, when the church rises to be with him. All right, Forge, stop and examine any further ways that you have grieved Holy Spirit. Quietly, humbly, take those words, events, feelings, attitudes to the feet of Jesus. Be forgiven. Be cleansed. Be restored to Holy Spirit. Be filled with Holy Spirit. So the next two verses are a mighty contrast to be practiced individually and in the church. Quote, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So that's verse 30. That's a, those are sins of the mouth, the, the inner man, the, the soul, the, the human spirit, and the mind. Okay? And then comes, you know, the, the word of the Lord in response to that. He says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You ever wonder how we ended up with so many different denominations in Christianity? I assure you, it was not through kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Okay? Divisions have been set in place by greed, anger, theological differences, corrupt words, pride, and even coming to blows. That reflects verse 30. Uh, being loosed upon the church and the lives of believers. And all you have to do is read history. And you just kind of go, oh, what a mess. But 32 is the antidote. Kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. The latter begins with each individual and is greatly amplified and honored by the Lord when embraced and practiced by the body together. When, when all of us would do that. So, Forge family, I can say wholeheartedly, I've never seen verse 30 displayed in our, in our midst by anybody. Thank you, Lord. That's a blessed thing, which has kept the ungrieved presence of Holy Spirit among us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the, the, the kindness, the tenderheartedness, the forgiveness that is in our midst. More of that, Lord. More insight into how the deceiver would come against us and how to call on your name in that battle. Lord, keep us pure and obedient. Quick to confess. Quick to forgive. Ready to display, our pres uh, display your presence and your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.